Torah tells us, Vayeshev Yaakov, Beretz Aviv. Yaakov is settled in the land of his father's sojournings, which is the land of Israel, the land of Canaan. And the question we have is, why does he have to tell us this? Why? I mean, if we, we assume Yaakov already went there, so obviously he's over there, so why does he have to tell you he's settled over there? What's, what's the question over here? He's there already. So there's an interesting Rashi over here. Rashi seems to say, that Yaakov wanted to dwell in peace and quiet. Vayeshev. Vayeshev is tranquility. He wants to dwell in tranquility. And Rashi says an amazing idea over here, which is pretty depressing. <laughs> and what is the depressing thought? He says, Omer HaKadosh Baruch God says, Lo dayan metukan lahem It's not enough for the righteous what they have in the next world. They want to sit in peace in this world as well. Because it's not enough the next world. We've got to worry about getting in peace in this world. So Rashi seems to say that this, is, this world is not the world to relax. This world is the world to strive. This is the world for striving. That's a perspective which we have to really think about in our lives in terms of this is the world for growth. The next world there is no growth. Over here we have to grow. Over here we have to strive. And when we strive in this world, the next world will look after itself. And that's why Judaism is very this-world-oriented. You don't find the Torah talking about the next world very much. Um, it's very this-world-oriented because if you worry about this world, the next world will take care of itself. So we have to strive in this world. We have to grow as much as we can in this, in this world. There is no growth in the next world. It says the Vilnagan was on his deathbed, and he was crying. So they asked him, why are you crying, Rabbi? So he took out his tzitzit, and he says, look, these strings you can buy over here for a few dollars... In the next world, you can't do any mitzvot. There's no growth in the next world. This is the world of growth. This is the world of striving. So Rashi seems to say, by Yeshiv Yaakov, Yaakov wanted to say status quo. He says, you know what, let me relax a bit, let me retire. I have been through a lot of troubles in my life. My brother, Lavan, everything's over now, Dina. Now I just want to relax a bit. What happens? The sale of Yosef. Rashi says, there's no relaxation in this world. This is not the world for relaxation. This is the world for growth. So we really have to, you know, try and internalize that. When we see troubles in our lives. This is the world of growth. This is the world where we have to try and deal with different issues. Where do they emphasize the, the land of his father's sojourns? Oh, what? The land of his father's sojourns? Okay, so that's a Barbanel. Barbanel. I just want to quote a Barbanel. That's a Barbanel's question. So, actually, Ramban. Ramban says, because we mentioned earlier that Esav took a complete possession of another land. Whereas Yaakov did not take complete possession of another land. He wants to fulfill the prophecy given to Abraham. Your descendants will be strangers in a, foreign, in a land. Right? So over here, they're strangers. That's what he says. Aviv. He's in the land of his sojournings. He's not actually dwelling there yet. To fulfill the, what uh, God told Abraham. That they're going to be strangers in a foreign land. So he's still a stranger. He's still a wanderer. And he's continuing the wanderings of his father. They didn't take possession yet. The time for possession was not, not ready yet. So Yaakov is keeping the faith. The faith is he knows it's not time to take possession yet. Could he have taken possession? Well, he had more men now with him than he had before. He has a little army with him. He has 12 sons and uh, how many workers and shepherds. Um, it's not clear. So but it doesn't need to take possession. Exactly. 
That's why it says, Megure Aviv, the land of his father's sojournings. So he's still in the same category as his father. These are the children of Yaakov. These are the children of Yaakov. Yosef. So the question is, these are the children of Yaakov. Why single out Yosef? Yaakov has 13 children. Right? So the question is over here, why does it single out Yaakov? Yosef. Yosef ben Shana. Yosef was 17 years old. And he was a shepherd with his brothers. And he was a lad with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. The wives of his father. Okay, so why does it single out Yosef? These are the children of Yaakov, Yosef. So the answer is that Yosef and Yaakov are the most similar. Of all the children, Yosef is the most similar to his father. Why? Yaakov's brother wanted to kill Yaakov. Yosef's brothers want to kill Yosef. Because the similar things that happened to Yaakov happened to Yosef. So for all the children, Yosef is singled out as being the most like his father. And... Um, And here Rashi tells us that the whole point of this parasha over here is telling us how the brothers, how they all ended up in Egypt. How they all end up in Egypt. And the answer is Yosef. These are the children of Yaakov. Yosef is the one who's going to bring them into the land of Egypt. So there's all these parashah that are leading up now to exile. They're all leading up to exile. So the question is, what is the secret of being in exile? What causes exile? What, what's the cause of exile? And this is what the Torah is telling us over here. What is the cause of exile? Selling one's brother. Hatred between brothers. Hatred of the brothers. We find this earlier with uh, Esau and Yaakov. They're fighting. What happens? Yaakov ends up in exile. Yosef and the brothers. What happens? They fight. Yosef ends up in exile. The cause of exile, we find the second temple was destroyed. Sinat Chinam. Caused the, the exile which we're in now. Hatred between brothers causes exile. It's the secret of this parasha. So parasha hold. The main principle of this parasha is the cause of exile is hatred between brothers. That's the real, that's the main, that's the main cause of exile. So Yosef is the cause. Yosef is the main vehicle for the exile into Egypt. So that's the one we're going to focus on. So the Torah is saying, you know, Yaakov has children, but we're going to focus this parasha really on Yosef. So of all the children we're going to focus on is on Yosef. And Yosef was 17 years old. And he was a Na'ar. We had a family in the shul called Nar. Uh, Nar means a boy. Nar means a boy. It doesn't mean a man. It's, it's a stage less than Ish. So he's 17. He's really a man. Why is he called a boy? Sarashi so is pretty denigrating to Yosef. Who Nar? Shehaya ose maase Na'arut. He was doing things the boys do. Mitakem b'se'aro. He's worried about his hairstyle. Mashmesh be'enav. He's worried about his eyes. In order that he should look nice. He should look good. He's worried about his looks. Yosef was very worried about his looks. He was a boy. He was doing things which boys do when they're teenagers. He's a, he's a teenager. A typical teenager. Yosef was a teenager. Uh, so we think we have trouble with teenagers today. First trouble, the Torah points out. Hunar. Rashi says he was a teenager. Now we have to understand that these are our greats. And even when we denigrate our greats, the reason why the Torah denigrates our greats is that we should learn from them. Uh, these are our heroes, these are our greats. We don't mean to demean them in any way. And this is one of the proofs that the Torah is true. 
there's the Torah lists the bad things and the good qualities of it as well. You don't find in any other holy book listing bad qualities of the heroes. Right? Christianity, oh, everyone's a saint. They're all saints. They never did anything bad in their lives. That's not human beings. They're not human beings. They're more than Alachim. The Quran, the heroes, there's nothing bad said about them. In Judaism, here we are, saying some things about our heroes to tell you that they, these are real people. They lived. They're real people. They have good qualities, bad qualities. And the greatness is to overcome the bad. The greatness of a person is to fight the Yetzirah, to, to overcome the bad. So Yosef's qualities were very inward-looking. He's egocentric. He's looking at his looks. That's what Rashi's telling us. He's worried about his look, concerned about his looks. He wasn't worried about his brothers. And what does he do? He's a boy with the sons of Bilhan Zilpa. Who are the sons of Bilhan Zilpa? The maids. Right, we find amongst the groups, it's interesting, Yaakov's groups of children. There are four groups. They're the favorite sons, the sons of Rachel. Then you have the next favorite sons, which were Leah. And then we have the next favorite sons, which were the sons of the, of the maids. How do we know that these, uh, this was the order? How do you know he separated, distinguished between the sons? Very good. Excellent. When he meets Esau, last week's parasha we just read yesterday, he puts the f- sons of the maids first, then he puts the sons of Leah, then he puts the sons of Rachel, which is only Yosef. So he puts them in order of importance. So the important ones right at the back. He doesn't want Esau to see them. He wants to protect them from the most from Esau. So you see, in Yaakov's mind, there was a preference. And Yosef is the most favored son. Who should he mix with? The next favorite. He should mix with the sons of Leah. No. He took the sides of the sons of Zilpah and Bilhah. Which leads us into the next section. Yosef brings the bad report about his brothers to his father. Now this brings us to the topic of Lashonara. There are four different levels of Lashonara. What are they? What is the lowest level of Lashonara? It's called Avak Lashonara. Avak Lashonara is just hinting something. Not saying anything bad. He's just hinting. Someone walks into the room and then... Or you say something sarcastic. Oh, he's very kind. That's hinting Lashonara. That's called the avak. The dust. The dust of Lashonara. The dust of Lashonara. The next level is Lashonara itself. Lashonara itself is bad but true. It's bad and true. And the question is over here. That seems to be what, what uh, Yosef is saying. Diba tamra'ah. Um, Ababanel says diba means false bad. That's the third stage. The third stage is Motsi Shemra. Motsi Shemra, which is, it's lies. It's character assassination. That's character assassination. Spreading falsehood about someone, which is bad. That's Diba. That's what Ababanel says over here. Yosef was saying something, he lies about the brothers. So three stages we talked about is Avak Lashonara, Lashonara, and Motsi Shemra. And the, th- the fourth stage is Rechilut. Rechilut is not necessarily saying anything bad at all. I was just saying, you know, I, I went here and I saw so-and-so. It's like I went, I went to the mall and I saw your husband over there. I come back and I say, you know, I was walking to the mall and, you know, I saw your husband over there. You say, yeah? What was he doing over there? I told him to go somewhere else. <laughs> so without even unwittingly causing mischief. Rechilud is gossip, basically. So it's fourth categories of Lashon Ara. It's unintentional, totally. I'm just repeating a story. I just went here, you know, I was, I was on a visit to England, and you know, I saw that, I saw this one, you know what he was doing, he was doing this and that. And inadvertently, some mischief comes out of it. That's what you do, that's gossip. We shouldn't be gossipers, because you never know what might come out of the gossip. This one did this, and this one did this, and I went here, and I did that. And uh, so there's four levels. So, Avak Nashanara is... Yes. Even though 
לא תלך רכיל בעמך. That's a negative commandment. לא תלך רכיל בעמך. A tale bearer should not go among your people. What is a tale bearer? A gossiper. He comes from one place to another and says, I saw this, I saw that. He didn't intend for anything bad to come out of it. He was just repeating. It's a casual conversation, exactly. <laughs> you're accountable for saying it because you're not. Yeah, exactly. You can't say, I went this and I. You can talk about the place. Say, oh, it's a beautiful place or this, unless you go to Israel. Even in Israel, you've got to be very careful. You can't say anything bad about Israel. A person goes to Israel, the economy is terrible, this, now you can't say it. Oh, it's great. How's Israel? Fantastic. It's the greatest. You're not allowed to say anything bad about it. It's very hard because it's a lie. But you're not allowed to say anything bad. What are you saying about the society there, not about Israel? Same thing. It's the same thing. Similar. Society. Needs, everyone knows what society is, but it's better not to talk about people. Society is worse to talk about people. Oh, that's something else. That's something else. You're helping someone to, you know, to change. Yeah, then you can talk. But uh, we're talking about outside Israel. We're outside Israel. What changes can we affect? Nothing. So we have to be very careful. It's, uh, we all talk. We're human beings. We all talk. We have to guard our tongue. That's the thing. Guarding our tongue is the hardest thing to do. The tongue has a mind of its own. <laughs> tongue has needs. That's why the rabbis say the tongue has got two protectors, the teeth and then the lips. Try and keep it in there. It's in jail. Try and keep it within control. But the biggest question, it's interesting, Ramban. Ramban asked the biggest question. The greatest question is asked by the Ramban in the story of Miriam. There's a mitzvah every day to remember what happened to Miriam. Right? It's one of the, one of the mitzvot to remember. Remember what happened to Miriam on the way. What do we have to remember about Miriam? What was the main thing about Miriam? That she spoke. Miriam spoke. So Ramban says... How are we allowed to talk about what happened to Miriam? That's Lashonara itself. Why is the Torah emphasizing what happened to Miriam? Let the Torah just say in uh, very broad terms, you're not allowed to say this. No. Remember what happened to Miriam. Remember what happened to Miriam. So Ramban says, the Torah is saying it to teach us. You're allowed to say Lashonara about someone to teach other people. If you tell your children history, say, listen, don't be like so-and-so who lived 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Look what happened to so-and-so. As a role model for others, you're allowed to say. That's exactly what we're doing in the Torah. When we learn Torah, we're saying, Yosef brought bad about his brothers. How can we say that? The answer is, it's teaching value. We use this to teach our children. If you tell children abstract form, they're not going to learn. But if you tell them in real life form, these are role models. Look what happened to Yosef, and this and that and the other. They're more liable to learn. So if it's used for learning tool, it's allowed. I was talking about someone who passed away already, not someone who's alive. <laughs> you can't say, so-and-so is the one. Look at him. Look what happened to him. Look at that. He got into trouble. Um, so that's, that's a very important idea. The idea that we use these stories to teach our children. Not because we're denigrating our forefathers. These are our heroes. But to see in their lives how they overcame all the obstacles. Look how they're going to overcome the obstacles. They have the same problems in their families as we have in our problems. Sibling rivalry and Lashnara and the family. and Look how they overcome their rivalries. So what bad did he say about his brothers? What bad did he say? So the first one is in the Pasuk. The Pasuk says he was with the brothers of Bnei Zilpah, Bnei Leh, Bnei uh, Bilha. The, the sons of the maids. So the obvious corollary would be, he was talking bad about the sons of Leah, how they treat these brothers. He's with the underdogs. He's looking after the underdogs. So his daddy says, you know how badly the sons of Leah treat these people? Treat the other brothers? 
So that's more pshat. Yes. Why is the wording so weird altogether? Why? Instead of roet imachi. Roet et achav, no? Oh, et achav. The plural. Okay, roet et achav. So the Torah uses et as with. I think yeah, that's the old Hebrew. Yeah, with. Et is with. He was with. So this the Torah, this biblical Hebrew. Et is with. He was a boy with them. He was more friendly with them. And that's a simple pshat. The pshat is he was friendly with them because they were the underdogs. And now we can understand what, what bad he said about his brothers. Which brothers were he talking about? The brothers from Leah. Rashi, however, over here brings three views. Number one. Shayu ochlin ever minachai. This is from the Midrash. They were eating limbs from a living animal. He sees them without slaughter, cutting the limb. And Number two. Mizalzalim b'menesh hashfachot. They were making a mockery of the two, the sons of uh, the, the, the maids, to call them slaves. And number three, they were suspected of immorality. So they were playing around with the girls of Canaan. And all three, Rashi says, he got punished. Yosef got punished. How? The, the claim that he made that they were eating limbs from a living animal, it says, clearly, they slaughtered the goats and they dipped his coat in their blood. He didn't... They didn't cut the goat alive and uh, take the blood out. They slaughtered the goat. They killed it. So he claimed that they're eating limbs for a living animal. Here, proof. They slaughtered the goat. Number two. The fact that they were calling their brothers slaves. He was sold as a slave. And number three. He accused them of immorality. The, the wife of Potiphar comes and attacks him. So all three accounts. Very bad to speak Lashon Arab about someone. Yes. I told you who Echav were. He was Echav. Echav was his general brothers. And then, but he was especially attached to. Who was he especially attached to from all the brothers? He was especially attached to. So he was, a, he was a shepherd of all the brothers, but he was especially attached to. He was friendly. He was Nar. He was more friendly. He was more chubby with, uh, with his peers, with B'nai Zilpah B'nai B'nai With all the Lashonara, Israel Ahavid Yosef Bikol Banav. Israel loves Yosef from all his sons. Okay, so again, Torah is emphasizing. We have teaching us what not to do with our children. Don't love one more than the others. And it's telling us why he loved Yosef more than the others. He was a son of his old age. So, what do you mean the son of his old age? They're all children of his old age. How many years difference was there between Yosef and Reuven? Alright, let's work it out. How long was Yosef by Lavan? 20 years. 20 years. 7 years he worked for Rachel. He marries Leah. 7 days later he marries Rachel. All the children are born... He worked for Rachel another seven years, 14 years. And another six years is with Lavan to work for his sheep. So 20 years with Lavan. Out of the 20 years, 13 years were years of having child, children. 13 years he had children. So Yosef was born 13 years after the oldest. So Reuven was 13 years older than, 12 years older than Yosef. There's a period of 12 years he has children. And some children were born very close to Yosef. The children of the maids were born very close to Yosef. So what does it mean he was the son of his old age? So Rashi has a problem. They're all children of his old age, really. So Rashi says, over here, read the word zikunim. 
Torah says, Lifnei seba takum ve'adada perei zaken. Stand up for an elderly person and give honor to the face of an older person. What's going on? Why, why the double language? So the rabbis explain, Seva is really an older person. Zaken is a person who learned Chokmah. Ze shekana Chokmah. Zaken stands for Ze kana. person who acquired wisdom. You have to give respect to someone who's old and also someone who's young if he acquired wisdom. So over here Rashi says, Ki ben zikunim means he was the wisest of his children. This was the boy who was learning from him. Which boy sat with his father and started studying with him? Yosef. He loved Yosef more because Yosef was the one who was studious. Now, just like Yaakov himself was studious. He was Yosef Alim, and that's why his mother loved him. Came down the family. The son loves the studious son. He was the son who was learning with him. That's Onkelos. Rashi quotes Onkelos. He was the son of wisdom. Whatever Yaakov learned from Shem and Ever, he gave to Yosef, his son. Okay, so there's different commentaries over here. Why did Yaakov love his son Yosef? The Pshat is because Yosef was the son of his old age. But then, who was older, even younger than Yosef? Binyamin. He should have said he loved Binyamin more than the other brothers. He was the son of his old age. Yeah, last week's parasha. Rachel dies in childbirth. We just read it yesterday. Rachel died in childbirth. Binyamin is born. So you should say he loved Benjamin more than the other, yes, the other brothers. And later on we see he does love Benjamin more. But only because Yosef is gone. If Yosef was still around, Yosef would still be the favorite. Is there something prophetic? Because Yosef is, I mean, in his old age brings them all to Mitzrayim and there's a famine and, and he's the one who... That's, that's, that's exactly what uh, we said right at the beginning. We said, Ele told it, Yaakov Yosef. These are the children of Yaakov Yosef. Where's the other brothers? And so this is the main vehicle now. We're going to really focus on Yosef. And it's interesting, Yosef, the, all the next, till the end of Bereshit, we're talking about Yosef. Yosef, 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 Yosef. It's like all the other brothers don't exist all of a sudden. It's just Yosef. Yeah. Um, and what happened to Dina when he's separating everyone to camps? Dina, he says, Rashi says he put her in a box. He was hiding her from Esav. And Rashi says that's why later on she gets raped. He hid her from his brother. You don't hide your daughter from your brother. If your brother wants to marry a daughter, let him marry a daughter. In those days. Maybe Dina would have changed Esav. We do find that Dina had a tremendous power. How do we know Dina had a tremendous power? She changed Shechem. Shechem wants to become a Jew. After marrying Dina, after her relations with Dina, Shechem is willing to convert to Judaism. He's willing to circumcise himself. So if she had that impact on Shechem, can you imagine what impact she would have on Esav? So a person's got to be careful. I mean, what, what lesson do we learn from this today? I don't know. <laughs> How can we apply this to her? You have a daughter and you know someone who wants to marry her and he's not religious, but maybe she could change him. Don't say no. I don't know. That's what Rashi seems to be saying over here. Don't hide her in a box. The answer is get her married. That's what I, I explained this Rashi is saying he should have got her married already. Don't hide her in a box. Get her married already. What are you hiding in a box for? You don't lock your daughter up in a box. You get her married. The only way to safeguard a woman is by getting her married. You don't. Lock her up in a box. Most Jews married to non-Jews. Two-thirds of kids are mixed Yeah. But there are cases where the woman changes everything. The woman is very strong. So Dina apparently was that strong uh, woman, woman who could change other people. But the, the main thing I think Rashi is saying, don't lock your daughter in a box. You can't. Mm. Whatever happens, it's gonna be, the box is going to break somehow. Could the only way around it is marriage. What? Did she agree to being put in the box? No. She was overpowered? You put her in a box. What do you want? Put his daughter in the box. In those days, daughters didn't say much. <laughs> Your father put you in a box. He kept in the. He stayed in the box, <laughs> like today. 
Well, she knew it was for good reason, you know. Esau's coming. Okay, okay. Esau's coming. But um, again, Rashi's criticizing Yaakov. We have to really think. He's, he's not criticizing him. He's just pointing out to us how to conduct our lives. When we're criticizing the fourth, we're not criticizing. We're not criticizing them. We're just pointing every little thing we're trying to learn something out of. As long as we're doing it for constructive purposes, it's allowed. But to come along and say they were bad and this and then that for no constructive purposes, that's not it's forbidden. Now, there's two ways of learning. The Gemara says there's two ways of learning. The first way of learning is the proper way of learning. You ask questions in order to learn. The other way is called Lilmod Lekanter. Lekanter means just to ask, just to poke fun into the person's logic. That's a bad way of learning. Same thing we're learning about the forefathers. We're learning in order to learn to how to change ourselves, how to grow. We're just learning to make fun of them. That's not how. So it's very important to learn. We're learning. Rashi's pointing these things out to help us to grow. Now let's not repeat the same mistakes. So a Yaakov... Huh? And they all grow and change. They all grow and change. We see the growth. We see Yaakov's growth from Yaakov to Yisrael. Tremendous growth. We see Yosef's growth. Let's look at Yosef. How Yosef changed from being the self-centered, egocentric individual to being the provider for the world. Giving food to the whole world, all humanity. And nullify himself. himself. Very important. So you see the greatness of yourself. We'll see that's, the, that's what a tzaddik is. A tzaddik is a person not without a yetzirah. We all have a yetzirah. A person who controls it, overcomes it. And that should give us hope. When we lo- read these stories, it should give us all hope. If they could change, we can change. If they could become great, um, we can become great. We also have to remember the Gemara says... It says, uh, has a whole discussion about our relationship to our forefathers. So it says, If our forefathers were like angels, we're like people. <laughs> we have to realize the tremendous power, the spiritual power between us and our forefathers. Reading these stories, we lose this track of the spiritual power. There's a tremendous spiritual power. If they are angels and we are like human beings. If they are like human beings, we are like, says, like donkeys. <laughs> but not like the donkey of Rabbi Pinchas bin Yair. It was a special donkey. <laughs> so well, there's a tremendous power between us and them. We have to realize we, we can't really appreciate it. And the trouble is the Torah doesn't really specify the greatness of these individuals. We don't really see. But if they're talking to God, they're talking to angels, and we don't do that, obviously there's a tremendous power. We don't get to speak to Hashem. It doesn't appear to us. We don't see the angels. Yaakov's fighting with an angel. I mean, what, what, what's going on over here? He sees camps of angels. He sees ladders going up to heaven. We don't see those things. So obviously there's a big gap between me and Yaakov. So even though we're talking about them as if they're one of us, they're not really one of us. But on their level, what they did is like this. That's what Torah is telling us. But it's, it's really putting a magnifying glass to all their deeds to teach us what, what to do and what not to do. It's tremendous. Uh, we find the best way of teaching children is like through stories, parables, stories. So this is a vehicle the Torah uses to teach us how to behave. Okay, now we come to the dreams of Yosef. So first we have to talk about favoritism. Favoritism is not allowed in families. We learn it out from here. Yaakov should not have showed favoritism to Yosef. He makes him a special coat. A coat of pasim, of stripes. Or according to some commentaries, a coat of very fine linen. White linen. It was a multicolored coat, it doesn't say. Pasim means stripes. Um, But it was a coat worn by nobility. Worn by nobility. So when his brothers see this, his father loves him from all his brothers. And they hated him. Favoritism leads to hatred. 
And they couldn't speak words of peace to him. So what do we see from there? If you hate someone, the least you can do is... What? Don't say hello. Because if you say hello, he won't know you hate him. And he won't be able to take precautions. Torah says you're not allowed to hate your brother in your heart. It's one of the Torah laws. Don't hate your brother in your heart. So why? Because if a person hates someone in their heart, the other person can't take precautions. doesn't know. You know, he doesn't know this person hates him. Find the classic case was Amnon and Avshalom. Avshalom hated his brother Amnon. Didn't say a word to him. One day he killed him. Amnon didn't know his brother hated him. He killed him. So you find it's dangerous to hate someone, not tell them. If you hate someone, the least you can do is give them notice. So this way, the person can say, "Why do you hate me? What did I do to you?" Right. So that's what the brothers gave him an opportunity. The brothers are giving Yosef an opportunity. They're showing the hatred. They're not even talking to him. They're not even saying hello to him. That's an opportunity. Yosef, wake up. Why aren't your brothers talking to you? Just ignores it. Totally over his head. And then he has dreams. He's telling his brothers. Now listen, you're having fantastic dreams. Your brothers hate you already. Don't rub it in. Don't rub it in. No. Tells his brothers. And they hate him even more. What are the dreams? First dream. Making sheaves in the field. And my sheaf gets up, and all your sheaves are bowing down to my sheaf. It wasn't so bad. Why? Because it was, it was one stage removed. It wasn't them bowing down to him. So their sheaves bowing down to his sheaves, which imply that their material wealth will be less than his material wealth. Sheaf is material wealth. His material wealth is high. But also we have to remember that they weren't farmers, these guys. What were they? Shepherds. He's dreaming about a farm. So you can hate your brother because he wants to change his trade. Well, our trade is not good enough for you. You want to be a farmer now? It's not good enough to be a shepherd? You want to change? So it's hatred in families because they don't, the one son doesn't want to be continuing the father's business, father's trade. But over here, it's a material dream. But the brothers took it negatively. You're going to be our king over us. You're going to lord it over us. And they hate him even more. And then he has another dream. He tells his brothers. He's rubbing it in. I saw a dream. And the sun and the moon and the eleven stars are bowing down to me. So who is this? The father, mother and the eleven children are bowing down to him now. They're not bowing down to his sheaf. They're not bowing down to his, his son. They're bowing down to him personally. And then he tells his father and his brothers. And his father rebukes him. Rashi says his father rebukes them. Because he doesn't want to cause more enmity. Father can see this enmity already. So he rebukes his, bro- his son. And what does he say? What are you saying? What are you saying? I'm going to bow down to you. Me and my wife and my, my children are going to bow down to you. What are you talking about? But his brother still were jealous of him. But his father guarded the matter. Which means the father was looking forward to it to happen. The father looked forward to this come true. So the father realized this is going to come true. Maybe this is going to come true. The father didn't really mind. He was just saying this for public consumption that the other brothers should not hate him. What? You can say that Yosef was very naive. He didn't know what he's going to cause. It doesn't seem like he's doing it maliciously. Yosef was like this uh, naive uh, do-gooder. You know, these do-gooders who are very naive. They try to do good and they always put their foot in it. <laughs> they cause more trouble than they do. So he sees dreams and he's telling the truth. I just saw the dream. It's... Not, he doesn't think of the consequences. He's not thinking of it. it's going to cause hatred. 
Egocentric, we said. He was egocentric. He's worried about his own world. He's worried about his looks. He's worried about his dreams. He's not worried or concerned about their feelings at all. No concern about other people's feelings. Zero. When does he start having concern about other people's feelings? Yeah. When? When he's in Egypt. When? Before that. He says, when he is in jail and he sees the butler and the baker. That's the end of the parasha. He says, why are you so depressed? He asked them. First time he sees concern about other people's feelings. Why are you so depressed? That was the, already, that was the start of his ascendancy. Once he's worried about others, he can start ascending. We'll see, Yosef was thrown into a, a pit twice. Not once, but twice. Because every time he came out of the pit, he went back to being his old Yosef. He starts forgetting about other people again. Um, one of the biggest questions we have in the parasha is, why does Yosef not send a message to his father for 22 years? That he's alive. His father's suffering. Send him a message. You're alive. Good question. We'll leave that to last. Maybe next week we'll leave it. Because we have a few parashiot to, to ask that question. And especially when he's the king. Before he was the viceroy, he didn't have a chance to send a father's message. Now he's the viceroy. Send a father a message. We have to talk about that. That's a very important point. Good for homework to start debating at home. Ask your children, ask your husband. Get some answers. Come back next, to, next week with some answers. Right. That's the biggest question over here. The biggest question over here is why is Yosef not at? Tell his father. Okay. So now Yosef caused all this mischief. Really stirred up a lot of trouble. Stirred up a hornet's legs. The next question we have is, is that enough grounds for his brothers to kill him? What has he done? They want to kill him. He said, Lashonara. And he says, you're going to bow down to me. But they want to kill him. Okay, let's see. Um, the father sends, the brothers are now in Shechem. Everything bad happens in Shechem. Yosef is sold in Shechem. Yosef is brought back and buried in, where is he buried? In Shechem. And today they're, they're smashing his uh, grave. I saw another picture this week. Every time they smash his grave even more. They're smashing his tomb. Yosef's tomb. And that's the name of the guy who also um, raped Right? Shechem ben Hamor. He came from Shechem. That was his name. Very strange. Shechem. All the terrorists come from Shechem. Nablus, yeah. Yeah, Nablus. All the terrorists come there from there. Um, so he sends, uh, Yaakov sends Yosef, go and see the, the peace of your brothers. It is uh, very well. And let me know what happens. And he sends him from the depths of Hebron. Any questions? Where is Hebron? In the, in the valley or in the mountain? On a mountain. Hebron is on a mountain. In the depths of Hebron. So the commentaries say, have a look at Rashi over here, Emek Hebron. Hebron is on the mountain. It says by the spies. They went up the Negev until they came to Hebron. So you see Hebron up, uphill. Hebron is referring to the people who are buried in Hebron. Who is buried in Hebron? Abraham. Hashem told Abraham, your children will be strangers in a foreign land. And they're going to be, be slaves for 400 years. So to fulfill the prophecy given to Abraham, that's Emek Hebron, from the valley of Hebron. So the promise given to Abraham. He sends him because of the promise given to Abraham. Because there's a foresight over here, this is going to lead, this is the thing going to lead to exile. And Yosef loses his way. 
Imagine, this whole story would never have happened if he lost his way. <laughs> he lost his way. What happens? A man finds him. And the man asks him, what do you want? He says, I'm looking for my brothers. This seems to be Yosef. He's saying something subconsciously. What does Yosef want more than anything else? He wants brotherhood. He's looking for his brothers. Where are his brothers? Where are the brothers that love him? He's looking for brothers that love him. He's going to spend the next 23 years looking for brothers. Looking for people who care for him like brothers. He's looking for his brothers. Who is this man? Again, Rashi says, this is a supernatural intervention in human history. Yosef really was going to get lost. He would never find his brothers. The whole event of the sale of Yosef would never have happened. Hashem has to make sure it's going to happen. Hashem wants it to happen. This, this way they're going to go to Egypt. This is the path of going to Egypt. But why is this chosen as a path of going to Israel, Egypt? Why does Hashem choose this path, the brothers selling one another to go into Egypt, to tell us, to teach us this idea that brotherly hatred leads to exile? That's the whole purpose of this parasha. To teach us this idea, brotherly hatred leads to exile. So the man sets Yosef straight on the path, go to Dotan. And when they see him from far away, And a man says to his friend, who is this man with his friend? Commentaries say, this is the same man with his friend before. The two guys who killed, destroyed the city of Shechem. Who are they? Shimon and Levi. Now that we learn a very important idea from here. What is the age for Bar Mitzvah? Where do we learn it from? From here. Man said to his, his brother. The word man is used. Who is it? It was Levi. Levi, it says, was a man. He was just Bar Mitzvah. Last week's parasha. The same word is used as last week's parasha. Ish. He's called an Ish when? He was only 13 years old. He's an Ish already. We learn from the age of Bar Mitzvah from last week's parasha. But it's used the same terminology. So Shimon and Levi were the two most dangerous of the sons of Yaakov. They were wild. Shimon and Levi were wild. And that's why they never inherited their own part in the land. They were all scattered. The Levites were scattered in 48 cities. Shimon was scattered amongst Yehuda. He never got his own territory. Scattered. These guys were there together. They're dangerous. They're very dangerous. And it says Kohanim have very bad tempers. <laughs> have to focus it on the right path, you know. Um, Moshe Rabbeinu knew how to focus them, the Libyan. But uh, they're dangerous. If they're not focused, they're dangerous. And that's why it says later on, it says, uh, Yosef separates Shimon from the other brothers. Puts him in jail. Sends the other brothers back. Because Shimon, together, Levi, you've got to separate them. They're dynamite. Yeah. Yes. That's where it all stems from. Okay, that's part of it. But Yosef stirs it up. I mean, he tells him his dreams and he brings Lashon Ara. It's not just favoritism. Favoritism by itself they could have lived with. But on top of that, he's dreaming about grandeur. He's dreaming they're going to bow down to him. He's going to make us their slaves. He's going to make them his slaves. I mean, the Emesis, like, we're humans. So sometimes in our hearts we do favor one shot over the other. You just mustn't show it. It just don't show it. But it's not know. Yeah, Child exactly. consensus. But uh, you can try your best not to show it. Exactly. And there's favoritism. Well, how come he's supporting this one? He's not supporting this one. He's not giving me. He's helping this one. Got a person got very, he can't escape. It's very hard to escape. How come he drives this one to school? He didn't drive me to school. Mm-hmm. He's just sent me away somewhere. Yeah. So this man that he bumps into that knows him, that's why when he says, I want, I'm looking for my brothers, the man knows where to tell him. Yeah. He knows who he is. 
That's what Rashi says over here. This man was Gabriel HaMalach. Hashem's messenger over here. When it ever says a man, a man came, that man is a supernatural being, not a regular guy. How could the man know what's going on? How could the man know who he is? He says, so in other words, God wants this to happen. It's all, we have our own plans, God has his own plans. God's plans eventually will... Everyone knows we make our own plans, but God really decides what's going to happen. So this really should not have happened. This whole story should not have happened. Yosef should have lost his way. Natural events, Yosef should have not lost his way. Come back to his father and say, Dad, I got lost. I don't know where they are. <laughs> and this whole story would never happen. If Hashem wants something to happen, it's going to happen. Okay. And they already decide they're going to kill him. Two brothers. Shimon and Levi. The dream of dreams came. Let's kill him. Now throw him in one of the pits. And we'll say that a wild man, a wild animal ate him up. And let's see what happens to his dreams then. So you can see the main thing was the dreams. They're addressing him as the dreamer, his dreams. The main concern was the dreams. Were they partially afraid they weren't going to get part of the blessing? Let's discuss that. So the question is now, here these guys are sadiqim. It's not just an arbitrary hatred over here. What's their main concern over here? Is their main concern? So there's a concept in Jewish law of a rodef. What is a rodef? Someone running after you to kill you. There's a halakha in Jewish law. Someone runs after you to kill you. What do you do? Depends. If you can stop him without killing him, you can stop him with minimal force. There's a law of minimal force in Judaism. Uh, for example, if there's a robber in the day, you're not allowed to kill him. Because you can, you can see he has a weapon. He doesn't have a weapon. You can't just arbitrarily kill a robber in the day. But a robber at night, you can kill him. You don't have to, you can't see, is he a weapon, no weapon? Suffolk, you just shoot him. But uh, Rodef, if you can just uh, injure him or stop him from running after you, you have to try your best. If you can't, you can kill him. Um, we just did actually a Mishnah in Ohalot, which is a very important Mishnah, which deals with abortion in Jewish law. We just did it yes, last week in the, in the Mishnah, which is connected to this week's parasha. So law in, Ju- in abortion in Judaism is only if the baby is a threat to the mother's life is abortion allowed. And so then he's classified, the baby is classified as a rodef. The baby is chasing the mother to kill the mother. The baby can be killed. Today this doesn't really apply because there's C-sections and all sorts of things we can do today, which they never had technology to do. But uh, that's the law of a rodef, same thing. So they classified Yosef as a rodef. This boy is trying to cause us pain and trouble. He's spreading national about us, he wants our father to disinherit us, and he wants us to be his slaves. He's telling us. He's telling us black and white. We, I want you to bow down to me. I want you to be my slaves. Slavery is worse than death. He's chasing us, trying to kill us, this guy. What do we do with a kid like this? Is Yosef aware that his brothers are after him like this? No. He's very naive. He said he doesn't know. He didn't, he didn't pay attention. They didn't speak to him. He doesn't pay attention. He goes and tells them his dreams. He's rubbing it in. In the most naive kind of way. He's not aware of what other people are, are thinking. We say he's not. Huh? He's in naive, spoiled, naive, very naive. But maybe he's not wanting them to bow down. He's just saying... It's That's exactly, he's naive. This is what's going to predict the future with no, with no ill intent. I have no ill intent, but you're going to be my slaves. <laughs> Doesn't make a difference, you're going to be my slaves. <laughs> There's no ill intent, but you're going to be my slaves. That's not, you know... But that's the, the rationalization of the brothers on the why, how are they able to kill him or get rid of him. Because he is a Rodef. That's not true. He is. What? He's not really. He's not really. If you dream your brother is going to bear down to you, as far as your brother, older brother, older brother, 
All the brother's concerned is this guy's, you know, he's after me, he's after my birthright, he's after my inheritance. It depends. If you're going to make a slave, it's a license to kill. Slavery is like death. Slavery in those days, you could do whatever you wanted to your slave. To be a slave in those days was really a license to kill. Didn't the brothers know that, they, that all the children of Yaakov were going to inherit the blessing? Very good. Okay, let's go back to history. Abraham Avinu has two sons. What happens? One is sent away, one gets the inheritance. Yet, Hakavina has two sons. Who gets the bracha? Only one is going to get a bracha. Yaakov has 12 sons. Who's going to get a bracha? In the family history, only one son gets it. The rest are all gone out. So, who's going to get it? So, I'm, I'm Ruven's first. Shimon, Levi, Yudai, Sachaz, Zibulun, Dan, Naftali, Yosef. He's nice. He's number, he's number 11. He has 10 brothers before him. They're going to throw out ten brothers and they're going to leave him, the little, little kid, uh, he's going to take over. It's too much. Ten brothers can't accept that. The brothers weren't aware of his naivety. They weren't aware that he was innocent in that respect and with all their wisdom. It's better to get someone that's innocent than when they get nasty. You know, was, uh, let's get him now when he's still small, he's still naive. Let's get rid of him because later on when he gets too smart, we'll be able to control him. When do you destroy someone? When, the, when Hitler, before he comes to power, or after he comes to power? Let's get him before he comes to power. That's a smart thing to do. After he comes to power, it's too late. As we see later on, he came to power. That was it. They couldn't do anything. <laughs> Hands were tied. He's telling them. He's telling them I'm in danger. He's threatening them. I have this dream, you're going to bow down to me. And I have another dream, you're going to bow down to me. And they, he sees them hating him, and they don't, he doesn't say a word. He doesn't care. He's aloof. I know I'm going to win. So it's a very tough situation. Does he want brotherhood or does he want to be on top? He wants both. I want to be on top and be a brother. But you can't have both. That's what they're telling him. You can't have both. You want us to be a brother, you go by the rules. And this happens in families. You want to be a brother, you've got to go by the rules. You want to do your own thing, you're on your own. That's it. Okay, this is a very hard, this is one of the hardest parashiyot in the Torah. I want you to know this is one of the hardest parashiyot. To understand it, that's Hadikim and how could all this happen? But we see in those days, there were rough times. You're not talking about our days where brothers get along, the world is big enough for everyone to live and you go and go, go move somewhere else and do your own thing. But in, Unfortunately, there's plenty of brothers in our times that don't get along either. Yeah, but they don't kill each other. They don't threaten to kill each other. Maybe they do. Yes, exactly. That's what the whole Abreshi is all about, basically. The whole Abreshi is about brothers killing each other. Only in last week's parasha did we find two brothers who were fighting and wanted to kill each other and make friends. And this is going to be the second episode in the whole Torah of brothers who want to kill each other who end up becoming friends. That's how Breshit ends off. Breshit started off with brothers killing each other. Breshit ends off with brothers loving each other. But weren't they killing each other because they wanted God's blessing or they wanted God to... Does it make a difference why you're killing each other? There may be a higher purpose. We're killing each other for a higher purpose now. I don't know if he, I don't know if they knew that. I don't know if we have any inkling that they, he knew that. It sees the, it sees the mothers knew that, but the brothers. But he doesn't want twelve tribes. He wants them to bow down to him, which means he wants everything. I saw a beautiful explanation. It says they saw the future and they see Yeravon ben Nevat coming from Yosef. Yeravon ben Nevat was the leader of the ten tribes against the two tribes, Judah. 
And that's why Judah is involved in this. He sees the prophecy. He says, look, look how much evil is going to come out of Yosef. Let's get rid of him now. Solve all the problems. You want to have the split amongst the Jewish people. Ten tribes against two tribes and fighting and fighting. Ten tribes get exiled. Let's get rid of him now. He says, he's the cause of all the problems later on. We don't know. We have all these different views and perspectives. Something going on over here, which is, um, let's go by the Pshat. The Pshat is there's hatred over here. Why is the hatred? Power, struggle in the family, the dreams, the favoritism, everything stirs up the pot. And we have to try our best to keep away from this. Try our best to keep away from favoritism in the family. Try our best to keep away from, even a person has dreams, don't even tell them. Don't tell dreams. If the dreams which affect the other person, try and keep quiet. Never express a wish to control the other brothers. Never express a wish to be more powerful than the other brothers. Never say, I'm richer than you, I'm going to control you. That's what Yosef was saying, basically. Okay, Reuven now comes out to be the hero. Vaishma Reuven, Adam. Reuven is the oldest, most responsible. Says, Lona Kirin Nafish. We're not going to kill. Number one, we're not going to kill. What you're saying is totally against Jewish law. You want to kill your brother? How can you kill your brother? Asur, forbidden. Forget about it. Reuven comes out as Mr. Clean over here. But, the rabbi said, what does Reuven say? Don't spill his blood. Put him into one of the pits. But his intent was, Rashi says, to come back later and take him out. But the commentary, the Midrash says over here, a very important idea, a very interesting idea. It says, if Reuven would have known the Torah is going to repeat this, he would have taken him out and carried him back on his shoulders to his father. <laughs> in other words, if you know in the future that people are going to talk about this, I'm going to do, much, I'm going to do much, a lot better than this. Um, the Midrash also says by Aaron Akohen. It says, Aaron came to greet his brother Moshe. Moshe was appointed the leader of the Jews. Aaron comes, shows goodwill, comes to greet him. The Midrash says, if Aaron would, would have known this is going to be written down in the Torah, Aaron would have come with a band. <laughs> and later on in the book of Ruth, it says that Ruth was poor. She went to Boaz. Boaz gives her a measure of barley. So it says, if Boaz would have known this is going to be written down, he said he'd get a meter, he would have given her meat and fruits and other things. So we have to, when we give something, when we do something, we do a mitzvah, we have to make sure we do it in the best possible way. Who knows? Maybe somewhere it's going to be recorded. Later on, they're going to write a book and say, you know how he did the mitzvah? He did a mitzvah, a fantastic mitzvah. But if he'd have known it would be written a book about it, he'd have done it a much better way. So if Reuven would have known this is going to be written down, Reuven would have carried Yosef on his shoulders back to his, his father. Okay, I want to continue because uh, there's a lot to talk about. So Reuven puts him in the pit. Now, what's in the pit? Thanks. A borek. Torah says, a borek. The pit was empty. On verse 24. A borek. The pit was empty. And Bomaim has no water in it. He didn't throw him in a pit with water. Could have drowned. A bore normally means a well. A well has water in it. You throw a guy in a well. So it was a pit which was empty and there was no water. So what does Rashi say? It's a double negatives. And two negatives make a positive. So it's empty and there's no water. Then it has some, something else. What else did it have in it? Snakes and scorpions. So now, man, let's think about that. Why is Reuven throwing him in a... You know, you want to save the boy. So throw him in a pit full of scorpions and snakes. We shouldn't be the ones to spill his blood. So what is the idea? The idea is let God decide to kill him. Who wants to kill him? Or put him in a place. Let other, let other things kill him. Let God decide if he's worthy of being dead. Died. So they throw him in the pit. And they go and sit down and eat bread. This is the hardest part to understand. 
It was their consciences were clear. They never had a second thought. They go and sit and eat bread. Well, in the meantime, their conscience are clear. Right now, he's, he's safe. Right now, he's out of mischief. <laughs> he's, out of, uh, he's not going to be able to harm them now. He's out of mischief. Now we can sit down and eat. Prior to that, obviously, they couldn't sit down and eat. They were so worried about this Yosef. Obviously, he's a smart guy. This Yosef is so smart. They, they're worried about him. He's planning something. He's a plotter. He's a, he's a conniving fellow. He's alone without father. Who knows what he's scheming without father? Who knows? He's going to write us out from the will. The spiritual will of the, the Jews. And they see this uh, group of Ishmaelim coming. This is also very complicated. And they're carrying spices, which apparently was very unusual. Ishmaelim never carried spices. They carried some dirty stuff, uh, pitch and tar and all sorts of things. And Judah says to his brothers, why do you want to kill our brother? Instead of killing him and hiding his blood, let's sell him to the Ishmaelim. He's our brother after all. He's our flesh and blood. (laughs) Let's not kill him. Let's sell him. This way he'll, he'll be exiled. He'll be out of our hair and gone for good. He'll be gone for good. That's it. Bishmu and Chav and his brothers listened. And I look at the next uh, line. Who takes Yosef out of the pit? Who sells Yosef? Have a look at verse 28. What does it say in verse 28? Audrey, have a look. Verse 28, page 205. Who sold Yosef? The Midianim. Who sold Yosef? The Midianites. It says look explicitly. It doesn't say. Read it. Midianite men traders passed by. They drew Yosef up and lifted him out of the pit and sold Yosef to the Ishmaelites. Who sold Yosef? So Rashi says over here, the brothers drew him out of the pit. He puts a comma over there. Midianite men passed by. But they, the brothers, drew Yosef out of the pit. The Rashbam, who was Rashi's grandson, says no. The brothers never had a hand in the sale of Yosef. They wanted to sell Yosef. Before they could sell him, the Midianites passed by. They see this white boy in the, in the pit. They take him out. They throw him. They sell him to the Ishmaelites. So that's the reason why it says it. So it's interesting. It's very important to know. When people say the brothers sold yourself, you tell them, uh-uh. The Midianites sold yourself. What? Have a look. It says explicitly. Rush bum. And this shot over here is the Midianites passed by and they sold yourself, but the brothers did intend to sell him. They're really guilty on intent. They really intended to sell him. They didn't sell him. The Midianites sold him. And that's why Reuven comes back and he says, where is he? Well, according to the Pshat, it depends how you follow. According to Rashbam, Reuben was right there. But the Midianites came in the meantime, they took Yosef. And now he comes back, he says, where's Yosef? It proves the brothers had nothing to do with the sale. The brothers didn't know he was sold. They intended to sell him. Before they could sell him, the Midianites came and took him out. No one knows about it. No one knew about it. Where is he? He's gone. Reuben says, where's he gone? He rips his garments. Where's Yosef? He said, the boy is gone. So they should have told him, he's not gone, we sold him. <laughs> they didn't tell him that. He's gone. This proves Rashbam. Rashi says, Reuven was gone. Reuven went back to his father to serve his father. They took turns to serve the father. Which implies that Yosef was in the pit for a long time. He wasn't in a pit for just a few hours. He was in a pit for a day or two. 
Because Reuben, by the time he goes back to his father and comes back, he has to take a whole day. So, uh, but I like the pshat, that Rashbam's pshat is very good. The brothers did not sell their brother. They intended to. The Midianites sold. Yes, sir. And who are the Midianites, like, geographically speaking, to where they are right now? They're in the south. They're in the south, um, in the Egypt, uh, south of Egypt. But they were traders, so they tra- traveled around. So the Ishmaelites are not the Midianites? Well, that's the big debate. According to Barbanel, he says they're both. Why? Because the Ishmaelites' descendants were Midianites. So the Torah inter- intersperses them sometimes with each other. He called the Ishmaelites Midianites, Midianites, Ishmaelites. Well, in the caravan itself, it had two groups of traders. It had Ishmaelite traders and Midianite traders. And they were selling to each other, buying back. Because later on it says, it says over here, Midianites sold to Ishmaelites, and then it says the Egyptians bought it for the Midianites. That's the question. So the answer is, they're one and the same. They're in the same group of traders, they had different, different, same caravan, they had different traders. Okay, so long parasha, we have stopped here, but it's very interesting. And think about the question is, why does Yosef not tell his father?